Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's episode where you will learn about voices of power and radical collaboration. Be seen, heard, and understood. My first guest is Denise Woods. She is a graduate and former faculty member of the Juilliard School and a longtime faculty member of California Institute of the Arts. One of the nation's most sought after voice and dialect coaches, her clients include such luminaries as Halle Berry, Will Smith, Queen Latifah, Tay Diggs, Ray Liotta, Lawrence Fishburne, Jessica Chastain, Taraji P. Henson, Mahershala Ali, Idris Elba, and many, many others. And I feel like she is a kindred spirit in, in speaking with her. So I can't wait to to have you share, Denise, because we're talking about your book, The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself Heard. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lisa. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Oh, my Thank gosh. You. I am. I'm giddy. I'm actually I giddy. Too. <laughs> okay. I feel like I have a new BFF. Me and I too. And we connected. In an instant, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Kindred spirits. That's kind, what it is. Kindred spirits. Because you mm -hmm. have been for many years one of Hollywood's best kept secrets. You have helped others develop their voices and their speech. And now you are making what you have been teaching for years available to the every man and woman. And that makes me really That's happy right. because using That's our voice right. is power. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lisa, you know, how it started, what made me think you got to get out of Hollywood and you've got to take this to the masses. You've got to take it to the everyday person who has challenges just meeting life on life's terms, just meeting uh, uh, the, the demands of the day be it the, the day literally or the day figuratively. Yeah. And I can remember sitting down when I saw Trayvon Martin's parents being interviewed after their son had been brutally murdered. And they were sitting there through their pain and grief, giving an interview. And we were all hanging on their every word yeah. And I thought, how difficult must this be for this father and mother to grieve so publicly and to be able to articulate what they felt in that moment? And I'm not saying that they weren't able to do it. I'm saying that someone needed to come along as myself <laughs> and and really sort of initiate a movement 
toward people being able to express their truth. The 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 ability to talk about who you are, to share your essence, to be able to give the gift of who you are verbally to the world. And it was in that moment that I thought, I don't want to just do this for actors uh, on a uh, in a movie, on a set. I really want to be able to empower people to use their voices efficiently and powerfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that is a superpower, a very <laughs> untapped superpower. Totally. You know, I think... We've been taught since we were born to suck up our emotions. You know, the the old adage that men don't cry, suck it up. You know, oh, 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 are those tears I see? Oh, I'll give you something to cry about. You want to cry? I'll give you something to cry about. You know, so we suck up, we 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 suppress and we push down so much, and then we spend thousands of dollars in therapy trying to 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 talk it out, to to overcome to get past the pain, to get past the trauma, to get past what it is that that society has told us we can't express, we shouldn't breathe. Because what happens when you're told, suck it up, you shouldn't be feeling that, you know, another word from you and you'll, you know. Um, What happens is we stop breathing. And at the core of all of this work, Lisa, is breath. And it's the one thing that grounds your voice to your core, to your center, to that place of origin. And it's it's no wonder why the Eastern philosophies and spiritual practices incorporate breath into all of this work. Because when you breathe, you go deep, deep, more deeply into source. And we've been taught everything but that in our culture. Yeah. When we talk about using the breath, you know, really Mm. sort of bringing ourselves into our bodies, oxygenating our bodies, allowing Mm. full breath Mm. to take hold, there gives an opportunity for us to sort of pause before we act or react, right? There's a contemplative process to this as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just brilliant, brilliant connection of the dots, Lisa. We're taught you get the thought and you speak. I have a thought and I speak it. I think of something and then I speak it. The real process is you get the thought, you breathe in through the mouth and then you speak. We have we have totally taken a whole step out of the process, out of the vocalizing process, out of out of the sense of expression, out of the ability to express a thought or a feeling. It comes from the breath. You get the thought, but it's energized by the breath. I say breath is to the voice what gasoline is to a car. Yes. If you have no gas, <laughs> you're not going anywhere. Yes. If you have no breath, you can't really, really affect your listeners. You can't put it out there. You can't put your spirit out there. But the breath coupled with your imagination. So, so imagination, what is your imagination? Simply images. You have to see what you're saying. It's so interesting because (laughs) I typically wear my glasses because I tell people I have to put my glasses on so that I can hear you. (laughs) That makes sense to me, actually. (laughs) (laughs) 
I saw that you were wearing glasses yeah. too. And I said, mm, my, my girl, she yeah. knows. Yeah. I, I really, it's, it's this wonderful interconnection of our senses that, that happens. And clearly when we lose one of the senses, the other ones really go into hyperdrive. But in order for, for, for us to really convey a thought, we must see it. We must see it in our mind's eye. And then we must breathe and share it as a gift to your listener, be it one, a listener of one or thousands. You've got to see it so that if you see the color if someone, if you're saying the color blue, for instance, if you're saying blue, you got to see the color. You have to see an ocean. You have to see the sky. You have to be very, very specific with your imagination because it really fuels the voice and colors the voice. So it, the imagination colors the voice and the breath essentially fuels and powers the voice. When we speak of your book, The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself Heard, and I think these operative words are to be heard. When we ask people, often in my practice, I'll say, you know, what makes you feel best in your relationships? What makes you feel loved? And people, I would say 90% of the time, one of the things that they comment upon is when I feel heard, I feel loved. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is what you're saying. Yes, that's 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 exactly what I'm saying. The ability to be heard is the delivery. Yes. And and hang on one second. This is where it's our responsibility, right? The delivery system is ours. We own it. Yes. Yes. It is not on the audience. It is not it be it be it an audience, be that audience, your husband (laughs) your best friend. It is on you to make sure that you are heard. So this is another thing. In addition to the breath, in addition to the imagination, you know, coloring the voice, I say, use your voice as if it were a gift, that you are giving someone a gift of who you are, a gift of you, a gift of your essence, a gift of your intelligence, a gift of your empathy, a gift of who you are. I liken it to someone perhaps looking and searching for the perfect gift to give someone for a birthday or for Christmas present. You know that we take time, painstakingly time-filled efforts to find the right gift for a person. So why wouldn't we do the same with ourselves, with giving the gift of ourselves to someone, giving the gift of our knowledge to someone, giving the same gift of, of, of who we are or how we identify, where we're from, as if it were a gift as opposed yeah. to an embarrassment, a sense of shame, a sense of hiding, a sense of playing it down, a sense of minimizing it on any level. Think of it as a gift and your voice will reach. You will be heard when you're giving it as a gift. And when we talk about using our voice as the gift, and I'm going mm-hmm. to reference, you know, the recent turn of uh, events in the United States. We have a new administration. There's a new day. There's a new sense of hopefulness mm-hmm. for many of us in this country. That is a result of voices being heard. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is a result of 
pain and strife of different cultures and different regions and and years centuries of being disenfranchised and the the cauldron bubbling up and i believe there was a seismic shift when the world heard george floyd cry out for yes. his mother and yeah. it just changed our hearts all over the globe in such a huge way, Lisa. It was enough. That man for his mother. We had had enough. We had had enough. We I agree had with you. Had enough. Yes, yes. So the the shift in 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 our consciousness is 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 the the bubbling cauldron when it boils over, and I think that's what's happening. We we and it was the the confluence of of a pandemic that hadn't been seen, the proportion of which hadn't been seen in over, in, in, in close to a century, in over a century. And, yeah. and uh, you know, and then the political strife and constant vitriolic way in which we were dealing with each other as a country, it was just this bubbling cauldron. And then to to realize that to be, it was glaring the disproportionate um, disparity, health disparity, economic disparity in this country. It was the confluence of all of that that made voices rise up and and the ability to speak your truth. So then I come along and I say, okay, we're here now. We're at this point where we are ready to speak. I want to give people the tools to be able to do that. Let's go to a break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation, the amazing conversation, I might add, with my guest, Thank Denise you. Woods. We're speaking of her book, The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself Heard. To learn more, please visit www.speakitclearly.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the handle is all the same, Speak It Clearly. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Hang on just a second. Before we break, the great Ralph Waldo Emerson reminds us that it is a happy talent to know how to play. And sometimes life calls for a little guilt-free playtime. Call it a break, a pause, or a mindfully mindless reset. That's just the moment when I like to clear a few levels on Best Fiends, the five-star mobile puzzle game with more than 100 million downloads. I'm happily hooked. And if you're anything like me, you will be too. Don't miss out on this fun and casual must-play game that is boredom's worst nightmare. Playing Best Fiends allows me socially distanced connection with my kids at college and friends in different places. Best Fiends gives my brain a rest from the daily routine and challenges me with an exciting puzzle experience unlike any other out there in cyberspace. For more than a year, I've been playing while waiting in lines, and sometimes I even steal a few minutes for myself between virtual meetings. I love that the puzzles increase in challenge level as I progress, giving me a joyful jolt of adrenaline each time I win. So why not join me in my happy, harmless fascination over at Best Fiends? The fun never ends at Best Fiends because with more than 5,000 puzzle levels, you'll never run out of goals to achieve. Don't blame me if you end up kind of obsessed. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now let's jump off for a quick pause. 
To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. are back talking with Denise Woods about the voices of power and radical collaboration. Be seen, heard, and understood. Let's get back to the conversation. Denise, let's talk a little bit about how we use your process, that we can use it in our lives every day in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. Well, I talked in our last segment about, first of all, thinking of yourself, thinking of your voice, which is an extension, a reflection of you, of who you are, as a gift. That's the first and foremost thing. And and what my work typically is designed to do is to give confidence. A lot of people have a fear of public speaking, have a fear of showing who they are, essentially they have constructed a persona. And a lot of us do this, you know, and, and a lot of us code switch. We have a mask for this for this particular situation or environment and a mask for that one. And, you know, I, I, I'm not playing it down because I say, you know, sometimes you need a persona. Sometimes you you need you you need several personas depending on where you're going and who you're going to be with. The same way I have several different outfits and pairs of shoes that I wear. <laughs> I would right. wear my tennis shoes, you know, to the the premiere a Hollywood red carpet, you know, event. So so clearly I I have several pairs of shoes. I have several outfits. And so so I'm not casting aspersions in any way on the need for a persona. What I am saying, though, is how do we shine through? How does your authentic self, your light, shine through the mask? Figuratively and literally these yeah. days. Yes. <laughs> these days yes. And we are masked, right? Right. And you're saying um, how, that we can do it. To, we put on our mask to protect ourselves and others, our phys- physical mask. And yet right. the essence of ourselves can still be communicated even through the mask. Absolutely. I was in just, just, just as a wonderful anecdote, I was in Whole Foods one day shopping and I just so happens I go to the same line. You'd have certain things like that happens in the universe where you just you'll just end up with the same people in the same line at the same time. Every time you go someplace, you just end up it's like, whoa, you again. Whoa, yeah, you you're again. on the same schedule. <laughs> oh, the same schedule. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And so I ended up in line with the same two young ladies and I could tell that they had been talking about me previously because the the girl who was packaging the the, the groceries she said I'm going to ask her and she goes okay go ahead and she says do you use your voice for a living and I said wow you're good yeah you're good and I said I do she said let me guess what you do <laughs> Wow. And I know. And um, she said, you're a broadcast journalist. I said, no, I'm not. And I have a mask on. Okay. So I have a mask on. I have, I wear oversized glasses because my eyes are, the color of my eyes are light and sunlight really, really irritates them. So I've got dark glasses on. 
usually my my masks are always black because they match all of my clothes, darling. I've got to be, you know, color coordinated. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wear a black mask so that it matches everything. And so I've got this these glasses on, this mask on, and she she says, Do you use your voice for a living? And I was floored and I said, No, but thank you. That is the ultimate compliment that you could have given me um, because I do use my voice for a living, but I'm a voice coach. I said, I've mastered the call. She said, I knew it. That voice, we, every time you come in, we're hoping that you come to our line. We hope that you get into our line because we just love hearing your voice. And so so they now identify me by my voice. Like I said, I've got these light hazel eyes. I'm African-American. I've got these light color eyes. And so most of the time I'm identified by perfect strangers but with the color of my eyes. Oh, my God, she's got beautiful eyes. Now it's my voice it's because voice. it's all I have. And I've got a pretty decent smile. I, I, I really am very, very um, diligent when it comes to dental or hygiene, oral hygiene. So I've got a decent smile and pretty eyes, but now you can't see any of that, girl. All yeah. of that is gone. So now it's my voice and I use it like it's an instrument. I play it. I And this is what I want to teach people, to use the highs and the lows and the articulation and the dialects because we all come from different places. I can't stand when people look down on people who have dialects that are from a particular region that are associated with maybe lower class people or people that aren't as intelligent or as educated. You know, all of these these stigmas and prejudices that come with the the way people sound. And and I say, you know, we don't all look the same. So why should we all sound the same? That's what I want to know. And and because we we don't sound the same, why should one sound be better than another? If you're understood, if you can articulate through a mask and you are understood because someone doesn't have to ask you, what did you say? Oh, can you repeat that? Because you are clearly expressing your thoughts and who you are. If you can do that, what difference does it make if there's a Southern lilt to it? Or if you're New York and you're from Brooklyn? What difference does it make? Or you're Italian and you're from the Bronx? What difference does it make? Well, so it shouldn't it's make a any. It's, a te- it's just texture, it's, right? <laughs> texture. It's elements. I tell people it's like having a box of crayons of 64 colors as opposed to eight. Wouldn't you rather have a box of 64 with five shades of green and four shades of blue? You know, why do you want just one yellow crayon? <laughs> you, know, you know, it's just. As you're speaking, and I'm I'm thinking of your words in the context of your message and the idea of being able to articulate, you know, being able to make mm-hmm. ourselves known, because it's really if we make ourselves known, then we will be heard. And that, that, yes. that there is an idea that somehow we are holding back on making ourselves known, because if you really knew me, right, this is that, that, that Brene Brown yeah. and, and the shame element that you would find me yes. unworthy of that love connection and belonging. So the risk, the responsibility yes. is on us to make that Completely. voice heard. Lisa, this is, this is a wonderful segue to what the book is about. And, and I try not to do shameless plugs for the book because no, you should. I, it's okay. And you, <laughs> But I want the listeners to know what this book is. It's not just a how-to, although I give you, you know, wonderful 
detailed, um, explained exercises that are very user friendly so that you can do them, you know, as much or as little as you'd like. But it's also my personal narrative. I share something in this book about me and about a specific incident that I have been carrying for 23 years and a handful of people knew about this incident and I shared it in the book. And now thousands, hundreds of thousands and hopefully millions of people will know that I take the, I, I, I have taken the jump, the leap to say this, you know, this is an element of me and me sharing this will help others. Yeah be able to use their voices in a way to help heal, to help heal yourself and others. And then, so not only is it an, it, it is memoir, mine, but it's, it's also a narrative. I have gotten people like Halle Berry, Soledad O'Brien, um, a, a, a beautiful transgender woman, uh, a, a woman who had been unfortunately uh, brutally molested by her her uncle from the time she was five and and the effect that it had on her voice so I have a chapter in this book called trauma is a bitch yeah and what that does to mm-hmm. the voice yeah. and how liberating it is once we free it you know it so it's not just you know this 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 textbook driven because I didn't want a textbook driven book because I could have written that 30 years ago. But I wanted something that was going to meet people where they are. And so that's that's the element of truth, putting myself on the line, putting my stuff out there with the hopes that they will have the courage and the confidence to put theirs out in the world as well. So beautifully said and beautifully presented to us. The book that we are speaking of today is The Power of Voice, A Guide to Making Yourself Heard. My guest today is Denise Woods, and I'm I'm certain she'll come back and share more. Oh, wait, Lisa. <laughs> yes, and to connect with her, please visit speakitclearly.com. Once again, it's speakitclearly.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the handle is all the same. This woman's message is congruent. She is at mm-hmm. speakitclearly. Denise, there's so much more to talk about, but my takeaway from you is that that we have to step up and use this beautiful gift of a voice that each one of us has in, in our own most authentic way. And your book is helping to give us permission to do so. We just have to meet it. Yes, indeed. This is our season. We are ripe. This is a new season that we are entering into. And I think it's incumbent upon us to use our voices in a huge way. I agree. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Let's take that pause. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. back talking about voices of power and radical collaboration. My next guest is Jim Tam. 
He's a former judge and an expert on dispute resolution and building collaborative relationships. He has mediated more than 1,000 employment disputes during his 25 years as a senior administrative law judge for the state of California. James is currently a managing director of the international consulting firm Business Consultants Network, Inc., and he is in the house talking about his newest book, Radical Collaboration, Five Essential Skills to Overcome Defensiveness and build successful relationships. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Lisa. It's good to be here. Oh, it is. It is very good to be here for, for so many reasons. First of all, talking is one of my passions. Having heartfelt conversations makes me joyful and the world needs successful communicators these days. And I'm so glad that you have written a book on ways in which we can improve. Let's talk about the sort of the five pillars or skills of the book Radical Collaboration. Sure. We started out looking at what made the difference, and we've been able to narrow it down to five key skills that we think are essential. One we call collaborative intention, which is having the ability to stay focused on mutual gains in your relationships. When you hit one of those speed bumps in the road, you know, somebody makes a mistake or does something that you don't understand, do you get furious or can you get curious? The second skill we call openness which is having the ability to create an environment where people feel psychologically safe enough to raise difficult issues and actually deal with them. The third skill we call self-accountability, which is people taking responsibility for the circumstances around their life and recognizing the choices that they're making, either through action or or failing to act. The fourth skill we call self-awareness and particularly a focus about their own defensiveness, increasing their awareness about their own defensiveness, because nothing undermines collaboration more, especially in someone in a leadership role, more than getting defensive. And then the last one is being able to skillfully negotiate your way through conflict that's going to be inevitable in any long-term relationship and doing it in a way that supports the relationship rather than undermines it. This sounds like the recipe for a happy life. Let alone for, you know, when you just think, <laughs> when you think about how you know, we <laughs> communicate, like if we could just do this, it's all going to be good. Well, we started out working primarily with organizations, with, with, with unions and, and management in, in uh, organizations. And what we found is after we were doing the work with these groups, they would come to us and say, you know, I'd like to bring my kids here. I'd like to bring my spouse here next time we're doing this. And because everything we're talking about here works equally in an organization or in a family or with your neighbors, uh, you know, or, or your kids and their friends, uh, their, their basic effective relationship building skills that are, can be applied anywhere. And we are sorely in need of them today. I mean, we've been forced by what's going on around us in the world by the pandemic and political unrest and all the other craziness that is is out there in the world. We've really been forced to, I think, adjust the way that we communicate. And maybe that's not for the better. The world today is an invitation for everyone to get defensive. Yeah. And when we get defensive, we're not nearly as effective. You know, our our IQ drops. We simply become stupid. And uh, so it's very difficult to maintain relationships 
when you have so many, so much chaos going on and so many problems that we have to deal with all at the same time, and then we're stuck in the same place for so long. It's hard to get away from some people sometimes. You know that pod that you live with? <laughs> I mean, I happen to love my pod, but there are times when I uh -huh. just like, I, I just would like to go out and play in somebody else's pod. That's right. And, That's right. And, you know, how do we negotiate effectively negotiate our way through conversations that aren't easy to have, you know, and, and what pops into my mind as, as you and I are talking is curiosity, right? To, to really activate some empathy that activates curiosity to try and wonder what it would be like to be in the other person's shoes. Yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful tool. We use that a lot. In fact, when I was, uh, mediating labor management disputes. Oftentimes, I would start the parties off talking about what the other side's point of view was. And of course, they would usually get it wrong. So they would have to ask a lot of questions to understand. And when they approached it that way, with that curious mind that you're talking about, it made a huge difference in understanding both points of view, and then moving on to solutions. Oftentimes, we want to rush into solutions anytime we have a dispute without really understanding where the other party's coming from. So if you can have that curious mindset, it makes a huge positive difference. And then when we talk about your first point about collaborative intention, you know, the attitude or the spirit with which we arrive to the party, right? Like, mm -hmm. do we want to be right or do we want to be happy? And a lot of people out there will say, well, I want both. Yeah. Yeah, and that's possible, but a lot of times making e people make an easy, easy, either or choice, you know, between being right or being in a relationship, yeah. and they don't realize that. Well, to be in a relationship, oftentimes you you need to adjust your own thinking. And when we talk about radical collaboration for the next steps of our country, you know, in the recovery, repair, and healing mode, and reunification, I think. You know, by following these steps is really, really helpful because right now we're so polarized. We see ourselves as separate from the other when, in fact, that is a myth. The only way that we'll ever overcome that is by getting curious about yeah. what's going on with the other party. Uh, there isn't there isn't any other way around that. I think it takes a mind shift that that is uh, lacking in certainly in the political spectrum today. And. I think asking powerful, open-ended questions of the other, like, I don't necessarily understand your beliefs. I would like to understand your beliefs. I want to know where you're coming from, because at the end of the day, your needs and your desires are not separate or particularly different than mine. Not really. Yeah, often, yeah oftentimes, if we can get parties that are in a dispute uh, to be asking those kinds of questions, and they have a better understanding of what the real interests are of both parties, they're able to come up with lots of different ways of meeting those interests. And usually when, when we go into a dispute, the way that we've learned to negotiate is we usually look at the problem from our point of view. We come up with our favorite solution. Then we go to the other party and we try to convince them that our favorite solution is better than their favorite solution. <laughs> so it's part of an education process to try and slow them down and get them to understand what the interests are of the other party because they can be so much more creative. Usually, if you really understand what someone's underlying interests are, there's oftentimes many, many ways of meeting those interests. 
Uh, and it doesn't have to be your favorite solution. You can still get those interests met. So it, that's part of the mind shift there of slowing things down, not uh, getting stuck on your own favorite solution, getting curious about the other side. And it really helps in, in finding more solutions. What about the call to suspend judgment? Well, that's, you know, that's part of the slowing down process. One of the, the reasons why it's so difficult when people come up with their own favorite solution early on in the process is because they get fixated on that and it's hard to let go of it. So if they can avoid coming up with this, this framework in their own mind about this is the solution that we have to have, well, the best way to do that is to sp- suspend any judgment at all until they have a better sense of what's going on. But it's like in a conversation, oftentimes we're more focused on what we're going to say next than we are listening to the other party. It's the same with conflict resolution. You know, you need to be able to let go of what you're going to say next, have that open mindset, try and hear, really truly hear what the other party is trying to explain. That's that's what you're talking about. Uh, that is what I'm talking about. And when we talk about the art of listening, which I would love to get into more deeply in the second segment that we're together, the um, teaching others how to, to, to fully listen is really important. And there is an art to it. And it's not something that uh, a lot of us are comfortable with, right? Because it requires being willing to meet somebody where they're at by be, being willing to make you know deep eye contact, to be intimate in ways that society often tells us, oh, don't do that. That's just, you know, that's just too close. Yeah, I find that in, in my work with, with uh, conflicts that people think they're very good listeners. I mean, it's, it's probably the, the most often trained skill and the least used skill of anything that, that we find in business these days. Just about everybody in their life has gone through a listening exercise, and we think we're good at it. But most of us really suck at it yeah. because we're not, you know, we're not paying attention to where the other side is really coming from. And that's, that's having that curious mindset again. You know, if you can, I really want to understand what that person feels, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how, how this impacts their life. If you can go into a situation like that, it makes a huge difference. Do you think there is a fear of intimacy, though, that when we go into that state of deep listening, you know, it, 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 it requires a level of surrender and vulnerability that a lot of us are not typically used to or comfortable with. So we're exposed. Yeah, it requires us to give up a sense of certainty. Yeah. I mean, most of us, uh, when we're listening to the other side, we have uh, strong feelings about whether they're right or wrong. And so this requires you to give up that sense of certainty, which can create some chaos in our own mind. You know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of free floating here. Yeah. And, and, and but that's that sort of very special place where the magic can happen. Right. That's right. That's right. We are going to take a break and we'll be right back and we'll continue the conversation with my guest today, Jim Tam. To learn more about Jim's work, please go to RadicalCollaboration.com on Twitter at Rad Collabo and on Facebook, it's Radical Collaboration. The book we're speaking of today is Radical Collaboration, Five Essential Skills to Overcome Defensiveness and Build Successful Relationships. Here comes that pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. 
A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Returning to the conversation with Jim Tam, we're talking about voices of power and radical collaboration. Let's get back to it. So, Jim, prior to going to break, we touched a little bit about the art of listening. And I wanted to just, you know, wrap that up and move on to the next subject, which is very, very interesting. So there's lots of material out there on how to be a better listener. Yeah, there is. And from my point of view, the thing that gets in the way the most more than anything else that I've seen, is when we get defensive. We just become lousy listeners when we get defensive. And so it might be helpful to explore this whole issue about defensiveness now. Yes. And that is a communication style, isn't it? Defensiveness. Yeah. Well, what happens, see, most people think that when we get defensive, it's because somebody has done something to us and we need to defend ourselves from that other person. But that's not really what's going on when we get defensive. Now, there are times when you need to defend yourself. We have bad people in the world, and you know we have to pay attention to that. But when we get defensive, what we're doing is we're behaving in a way, uh, defending ourselves from fears inside of us that we don't want to feel. And three big fears that come up all the time that drive us into defensiveness are fears about our own significance, our competence, and our likability. Let me give you an uh, an example of that, Lisa. Say I have some fears about my own competency for doing this interview today. You know, say I didn't get a good night's sleep last night and I'm doing a bad job and I can't think of what I want to say and it's taking things out of order and no one's enjoying it, you know. Now, that could cause me a lot of discomfort because I, I like to feel competent. So one of the ways that I could behave so I don't feel incompetent is I could start blaming you. You know, you didn't give me enough time. You're asking the wrong questions. Uh, this is a dumb time for an interview, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> so it seems like I'm defending myself from from the interviewer, from you, you know. But what I'm really doing is I'm behaving in a way that lets me not have to deal with my own fear. So what can be really helpful is for people to try to get a better understanding of when they're getting defensive at an earlier point in the process. Yeah. Because when we get defensive, you know, our thinking gets becomes rigid, uh, our IQ drops, and we're just not very good at solving problems. So what we try to do is we try to get people to spot their defensiveness at an earlier point in the process before it's too late, before they're doing the damage, while they can still do something about it. It's interesting what you say about spotting the defensiveness, because I find when I'm in conversation with others, and myself included sometimes where I get defensive, that I will go into that, uh, or or others will go into that deflect and project paradigm, 
You know, yeah, that's a really common sign of defensiveness. Uh, we have in the in the book we've got a a list of fifty different signs like Only. loss of humor, high <laughs> high <laughs> charge of energy in the body, uh, wanting to be right, wanting the last word, obsessive thinking, blaming or shaming. You know, and what we suggest is people go through and try to get a better understanding of what their defensive behaviors are, because that can be our early warning system for them. So, for example, I notice when I get defensive. I start talking louder. I start breathing faster. I feel uh, very misunderstood. So if I'm in an interview or in a room filled with people and I'm getting some feedback and I notice myself doing that, the alarm bells can go off. You know, ding, ding, ding. Hey, Jim, pay attention. You're doing that thing again. So it can warn me before I do damage. Then I have time to take some action. You know, and I can, I can do something to try to moderate the damage of that defensiveness. I have a, I have a scenario to ask you about, and, and I think this is a very sure. common one and this, is, this may be gender based. And, you know, I, I accept that if you say that to me, you know, I often notice that when partners and spouses will bicker that one of the techniques that the other, and that person shall remain nameless. <laughs> but what about when you do this? But what about when you do that? So, and rather than just dealing with what the, the statement is, you know, I'm, I'll make something up, you know, you didn't take out yeah. the trash, you know, what about the yeah. time that you forgot to do this, 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 and this rather than say, oh, damn, I just forgot to take out the trash. Well, that's become a classic in today's political world. Yeah. This, you know, well, what about isn't, yes. you know, that's a classic example of, of defensiveness. Yeah. It's just, it's classic. So see now if, a person knows that that's what they do when they get defensive. And then all of a sudden they hear them say, themselves saying, well, what about you? The alarm bells, you know? Yes. Notice, okay? Then that gives them the opportunity to say, okay, wait a minute. I'm getting defensive because that's the first step that you have to do if you want to deal more effectively with your own defensiveness. You have to notice that you're getting defensive and acknowledge it to yourself. So you notice it. You acknowledge it. Then uh, oftentimes when we get defensive, our brain goes into tunnel vision. Part of our prefrontal cortex shuts down. Oh, yeah. And we, only, you know, we, we see, you know, like we're looking through this, this uh, telescope. So you need to re-expand, re-engage your whole brain. And you can do that by maybe looking around the room and seeing how many different colors uh, you see or what noises you hear. But something to focus outward to get rid of that tunnel vision. Then you want to focus inward to see if you can figure out what the fear is about. Then what you can do is come up with an action plan, some, some very specific step that you can engage in that will reduce the amount of damage. So if your, your sign of defensiveness is flooding with information to prove a point, then maybe you just be quiet for 10 or 15 seconds. Now, that won't help you if your sign is withdrawal into deadly silence. You know, then you need to ask a question. <laughs> Uh, something to stay engaged in the conversation. If it's high charge of energy, maybe you uh, take a walk or, or take a few deep breaths. If it's all or nothing thinking, uh, maybe, uh, you know, say to yourself, look for the gray, Some, something mm. like that. So it's not all just black or white, you know. 
So what I hear you suggesting are these little micro interventions that don't actually take up much time, but can ground you back in the room in the conversation. Absolutely. And the more you do it, the more practiced you'll get at it, too, because you want this to be automatic. If you see that defensive behavior, you take this action, you know, see it, do it, see it, do it. So you practice. And the best way to do that is just think of a time, go back in your mind, think of a time when you did get defensive. What would you have wanted to do? How would you have wanted to behave to be at your most effective? So it's like having a little after action review. And even though you're doing this in your own imagination, you're creating new neural pathways in your brain. And so if you keep doing this, that's going to help over the long run. Now, nothing is going to help you get rid of it as much eventually of, uh, as trying to figure out what the underlying fear is there, whether it's a fear of, of you know, not being competent or, or, or not being important, uh, that people aren't going to like you, whatever the fear might be. You're going to need to deal with that eventually. But if you just practice those little simple steps of looking for your your signs and then taking an action plan, that's going to help over time quite a bit. Um, it, it makes perfect sense. It's very logical what you're describing and what I believe uh, is will be helpful to people by reading this book is understanding that it is that it is the repetition, it is the practice, the neuroplasticity of the brain that ev- eventually ad- adopts the new habit of response in a different way, in a new way. So I get a lot of questions. Well, what about if I can if I can stay non-defensive, but I'm dealing with people who are defensive? You know, the advice I have for them then is well. It's the least effective thing you can do is point out to the other party that they're getting defensive. So the best thing you can do is try not to get triggered by their defensiveness. You stay non-defensive and you're always going to be much more effective at dealing with somebody who's defensive and then put more energy into listening because oftentimes people will get defensive when they're not feeling heard. So those are a couple of good tips there. That is gr- that is a great idea, actually, is, you know, to get get busy with the, the listening, because then the other person feels as though they're valued. You really want to hear what they have to say. Exactly. Exactly. Which, which reduces the tension, which reduces the, the energy in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is very, very helpful and useful information. The book we're talking about is Radical Collaboration, Five Essential Skills to Overcome Defensiveness and Build Successful Relationships. My fabulous guest has been Jim Tam. To learn more about Jim and his work, please visit RadicalCollaboration.com, on Twitter at RadCollabo, and on Facebook, that page is Radical Collaboration. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Jim. This was great. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests, Denise Woods and Jim Tam, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio. 
kbuuradiomalibu.net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.